appreciate uh, everyone who's here this morning, even though it's going to be a long day with a picnic and all. Uh, we are doing the Effective Kingdom Prayer series, and this is Chapter 3, Five Types of Prayer. And we are on Chapter 3G, Spiritual Warfare, The Nature of the Enemy. If you'll uh, look at Roman numeral 1, some of our theme verses, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason we're calling this Effective Kingdom Prayer is that prayer is not just some mamby-pamby activity. It's really hard getting modern people to pray because bottom line, you have to believe in spiritual realities to pray. Hebrews 11, 6, uh, he who uh, comes to God or seeks God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And prayer is the ultimate foundational tool to lay God's kingdom and to advance God's kingdom in ourselves in the church and out from the church to the earth around us. Your kingdom come, your will be done is not only what we're supposed to be praying for, but what we're supposed to work toward. James 5.16 says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, and we just want to keep emphasizing that means there is effective prayer and there's ineffective prayer. And uh, so uh, you can actually pray more as a waste of time, or you can pray more effectively and it's not just about some, some principles you learn, but it's about principles that they become part of your whole, the core of your fiber of our being corporately together and uh, a way of life, you would say. So on Roman numeral two, um, we are looking at five types of prayer and we're at the fifth one, spiritual warfare. And this is actually the last I'm uh, one I'm going to do, because uh, uh, in the second service, I'm going to restart the Kingdom of God series, and so we're not going to get to 3H, offense and defense, at least in this format. This A lot of this I'm laying is groundwork. Uh, Nathan Hager, who's having some car trouble and be here shortly, uh, will... Uh, is, you know, he and I are working on laying some foundations to turn some of these into book series for us. And... Um, We'll, you'll eventually hear the, the whole point of having uh, both a good offense and a good defense. And, and uh, many churches, frankly, and many movements, you know, I've been unfortunately reading about uh, a big church and a big movement that's kind of imploding right now. Many, many churches and many movements grow, frankly, too fast for, for having a good defense. One of the reasons there's you need to have plurality of leadership and and real accountability and and servant leaders and all those kind of things is because uh, the, you know that advancing the kingdom is dangerous business and if you if you're not wise there will be casualties and uh, I wish I could actually do the one on offense and defense but uh, we're gonna forego that one. Uh, for the time being, I probably will record it with uh, and put it on the and put it on our website. Um, so today we're going to look at the nature of the enemy and his schemes. You might recall that last week we looked at the reality of the enemy. Truth be told, the most spiritually sensitive of us in this church. Uh, underestimate how real spiritual realities are. It's just part of the Western mindset since the Enlightenment. Uh, the fact is, there are more angelic and demonic spirits in this room than there are people by probably at least more than 10 times. 
And your life is more influenced by, by spiritual warfare than you know. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we have a, an old saying from the 70s that the new wine is heady wine. Uh, the, the fact is, when you become, as, as God lifts up your, your uh, countenance and as you get more filled with his spirit and you come into a deeper uh, presence of God in, in worship and, and, uh, and anointing for proclaiming the kingdom and things like that, um, there's, there's all kind of spiritual warfare. You know, we used to always say, be careful that you don't burn up on reentry. Um, there's, you can get weird. Uh, and sad to say, um, much of what goes on for people who really walk in the power of the spirit realm and, uh, and, and cast out demons and, and worship God and, and, and proclaim the kingdom and, and spirit and truth and, and heal the sick and, and all these things. Much, a lot of what goes on in that realm is a little weird, and, and, and uh, unfortunately. And what God wants to do eventually is take, take uh, is, is raise up a, a group of people who can be naturally supernatural, who can look like Jesus. Jesus was not weird, uh, contrary to so many of the Hollywood movies of him where he's kind of spaced out and and different things. Jesus was a very normal person to be around. You get that picture very clearly in the Gospels. Yet he was a very spiritual person. He was aware by the Holy Spirit what people were thinking. He was aware of what spiritual problems they were going through. Uh, he spoke into situations and told people about their lives. And so, um, anyway, uh, we want to talk a little bit today about the schemes of Satan. Now, remember, when we talked about the reality of Satan, we also said there were three kinds of satanic beings. Satan himself, who is not omniscient or omnipresent. You always hear, we've, we say figuratively, gee, Satan's giving the church a hard time or something like that. He's never heard of us. <laughs> Believe me, we don't rank on the uh, Richter scale. I doubt he's ever heard of you or me. And uh, he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent. He's opposite God in character, and he's opposite God in purpose, but he's not opposite God in eternality or omniscience or any of the other uh, non-communicable attributes of God, as they call them in theology, or, or the divine attributes of God. He's, uh, he's uh, been around uh, six or 7,000 years, and, and has a great deal uh, better IQ than you or I do, but, he's, but, he's, but in comparison to God, it's nothing. He's only allowed to exist, the demons are only allowed to exist for God's uh, sanctifying purposes in his church. And part of what we're called to do is advance the kingdom, driving back the false teachings of demonic spirits that, are, that, are, that would deny Christ. Now, what I want to say here is, as we get into this, is how do you recognize uh, demonic spirits? How do you recognize Satan? How do you recognize the activity of his kingdom versus the kingdom of God? It's as simple as this. Everything that God does comes out of his attributes. I'm very negative on the impersonalization of the church that's kind of sweet, has swept our culture since the 1980s. Why? Because one of the most primary foundational aspects of God is God is personable. 
And God cares about one person at, the, at a time. And it's never about numbers. It's about the quality of what you're giving and serving one individual at a time. Our Lord Jesus walked into the pool of Bethsaida in John chapter 5 when there was, uh, in fact, hundreds of people waiting to get in. And he did what he saw the Father doing. He, he picked out a particular individual that obviously the Father by the Holy Spirit led him to. He healed that person, and he left. It wasn't about the numbers. It was about that man and what God was doing in that man. And so um, that's just an, just an illustration of the fact that everything God does will have the aspect of his attributes. God is a triune being. He's three persons in one God. He has community with himself. And so anything that God is doing will promote deeper relationships and community. You're, the model for your marriage is secondly Christ and his church. It's actually primarily the Trinity. Uh, God wants you to have the kind of deference to one another and service of one another that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exhibit among themselves. So likewise, everything that Satan does and his satanic angels and his demons uh, are, are come from Satan's nature and his character. Now, the Bible warns against knowing too much about Satan in, in Revelation and other places, uh, but you need, we need to not be ignorant of his schemes, and to not be ignorant of his schemes, we need to know exactly how much the Bible tells us about him, and frankly, not, not a lot more. If you know what the Bible tells us about him, you'll know his schemes, and you'll know everything you need to know to do battle. Now, so let's get into this. We're in Roman numeral three. Let's read a couple of scriptures. 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now, that word is translated schemes in the New American Standard Bible, the New, New English translation, and the complete Jewish Bible. But it's translated designs in the e English Standard Bible, in English Standard Version, and the Revised Standard Version, and devices in the King James, New King James, and Young's Literal. Interesting, uh, one of the most, the, the most popular Bible of the Reformation that many people still use and swear by, especially if they're more, what's called Reformed thinkers, is called the Geneva Bible. And it says we're not, uh, we're not ignorant of his enterprises. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Mounts, Mounts and his interlinear translation. It's, uh, if you know Greek and like to study Greek, it's a great tool to use, and it's available at Bible Gateway online for free and so forth. But Mounts translates that word, uh, um, where was I? Um, that word uh, in that verse, uh, intention. So we're not ignorant of his intentions. So those are good words to think about. Put them together, schemes, designs, devices, enterprises, intentions. You know, Satan has a will for you. And it's to oppose God's will of redemption and sanctification and uh, and then the it, to oppose you going further with Christ, not only in uh, intellectually, scripturally knowing Christ, but experiencing him and coming into the power and the equipping to do his will, which is to liberate lost people. So Ephesians 6.11 says this, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, interestingly, that's actually a different uh, word in the Greek. Uh, 
And uh, the, the first one was the word noema, which is uh, a mental perception, thought, or an evil purpose. This one is methodia, which we get Methodist from, or method. It means cunning arts, deceits, craft, trickery, deceit. Uh, Geneva translates it assaults. Um, I like uh, the King James and New King James, Revised Standard Young's Literature, always, uh, uh, they translate it the wiles uh, of uh, the devil. And, uh, you know, there used to be an old uh, saying, beware the wiles of women when you're, when you're a young man. Um, beware the wiles of the devil. So he has wiles. You know, it, it's, again, we're, all of us are in a fight with our unbelieving culture. We want to know, we, most of us, if you've come to Christ, one thing that comes with receiving Christ is there is actually a revelation in Christ that God's word is true. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He is the living word, and the written word is, is the truth that, 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 through which we relate to the living word. But we all actually battle with this. Uh, you know, it, it almost, we've almost come to associate anyone who believes in a personal devil and real temptations and real demons is some, somewhat of a nutcase in our culture. But the problem is, is that would make Jesus a nutcase and Paul a nutcase and Peter a nutcase and all the apostles. And then what faith do we have left? We live in a very animated, uh, personable universe with lots of beans in the air. And uh, so, again, the schemes of the devil is translated as wiles, assaults, deceptive tactics. Revelation 2.24, but I say to you, the rest of you who are in theatre, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you, NASB. Um, what he's kind of warning against, in the Roman time, there were what's called mystery cults. And there were mystery cults that claimed to have insight through various esoteric kind of spiritual experiences. And to be too preoccupied with knowing about darkness and Satan and so forth is itself a deception. Again, you need to know exactly what the Bible tells us about him, and that's it. We don't need to spend a lot of time meditating on Satan's character. We spend a lot of time meditating on God's character and on Christ. So nevertheless, we do need to know some things. Um, now, last week we talked about the three biblical enemies uh, that are inextricably intertwined in our human experience. They are our sin nature, the demonic kingdom, Satan's kingdom, and the world system. And they all are in each other and, and, and work through each other and are, and are inextricably intertwined. We talk about them separately to help us with conception of understanding where this all comes from. But these enemies... The Bible presents them as humanly insurmountable. And it, I can't remind us enough, they are, they are only overcomable in Christ. Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to, be, to claim the kingdom. Three times in the book of John, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world, small r, small, and so forth. And he came to establish that his kingdom, which didn't derive from this realm, that derived from his heavenly father was the real kingdom and that that kingdom was invading the earth and he came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, uh, whereas the synoptic gospels focus on the, the, the lordship of Christ over demonic spirits, 
John, in, in, in both the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he focuses on the cosmic triumph of Christ over all of Satan's kingdom. 1st John 5.19 says that, uh, that uh, we know that we're of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, let me tell you something. Think about what that verse is saying. That means John is either some whacked out individual uh, who is the leader of some weird cult movement, or he's actually an apostle of the Lamb speaking by the Holy Spirit on his behalf. There's no middle ground there. He says, we know, he's speaking to, the whole book is about fellowship, and it's written to the, the uh, what's called general epistle. It's written to all the communities of Christians in the, in the Roman Empire. And he says, we know that we, that is the church uh, bodies throughout the Roman Empire who are walking in the orthodox Christianity that he's and taught and the reality he's talking about, we know that those we, those we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He just, John goes on to describe Satan in Revelation 9 is the guy who deceives the whole, all the nations. Wow. Filter that through your 6 o'clock news or BBC news. Really, one of the reasons I have a trouble, you know, I'd, I'd like to be interested in world events and everything as much as anybody else. And any person who studied history and stuff is inclined toward that kind of stuff. But frankly, one of the things that you just got to deal with is as they talk about all the different things that are going on in the world is, is the world is filled up with a lot of leaders and a lot of uh, rank and file people. The world is filled up with a lot of deceived, lost people. And the Bible describes fallen humanity as at enmity with God and one another. And there's war and division and oppression and hatred and uh, people treating other people badly everywhere in the world. And all of human history has been thus. Yet people want to believe that mankind is basically good. It, it slaps, you know, you're, you're basically believing something that stands in the face of reality. History doesn't bear out that mankind is basically good. The, you know, the greatest theme of all literature is man's inhumanity to man. So anyway, we, uh, those are our three enemies, and the Bible presents them as you can only be free from them by the power of the resurrected Christ. Now let's get into today's stuff, which because I only got about 20 to 25 more minutes. The nature and attributes or characteristics of the enemy. Again, hopefully I've made the point that all of his, anything that God does comes out of the attributes of God. And anything that Satan and his minions, his demons and so forth does come out of their characteristics. So to know a little bit about his characteristics is tantamount. Um, you know, my parents were uh, nominal Christians. They were Catholic and church goers. They did not know the Lord. And they had a lot of anger issues in, in they had a lot of codependency and anger issues in their marriage. And, uh, when I was uh, 10 years old or 11 years old, they were in one of their intense fights that we all went running for cover kind of thing. And my dad grabbed my mom's hand and knelt down and, and asked her to kneel down. And they cried out to God and they said, we are headed for a divorce. 
And what's going on here is ugly, and we don't know what to do. God, if you don't save our marriage and save us, I don't know what. Uh, there's no other solution. That's actually happened. And they, uh, interestingly, a guy from my dad's work and another guy they knew led them to Christ, and they got filled with the Spirit, and eventually had a deliverance ministry and a book ministry and uh, all kind of stuff. But, but God intervened and saved them. Uh, because first they humbled themselves and cried out to be saved. And um, what's uh, amazing is, is that uh, the work of the enemy is to sow discord, strife, hatred, division, uh, these kind of things. So let's, let's look at some of them. Uh, first of all, the word Satan itself means adversary or opponent. Again, he's opposite God in character and purpose, not in power or wisdom. But he's, he quite opposes the will of God in your life. If God wants you in fellowship, you're going to have all kinds of temptations not to be in fellowship. If God wants you to read the word, you're going to have all kinds of uh, spiritual warfare to try to keep you away from reading your, the Bible. If God wants you to go out and witness and learn how to... Uh, to begin to uh, open people's eyes, uh, present the truth to them, and so forth, you're going to have all kinds of fear of man, and and I'm not ready, and and so forth. You're going to be just like Gideon, and you got to hear the Lord saying, you know, Oh Gideon, thou mighty man of valor, it's not about you. Quit looking at you and look at Christ and do what He's called you to do. So Satan means adversary or opponent. Um, the word devil, diabolos, means, uh, means slanderer or accuser. I always say this. Jesus said in his final confrontation with Israel in Matthew 23 through, or Matthew 21 through 23, he says, he says to them, you won't see me again until you can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You will have thoughts like he's too pushy or... I, this You'll have bad feeling. Anyone God wants to use in your life, you're going to have spiritual warfare against uh, trying to keep you from that relationship. It's as simple as that. Now, we can go as far as we can to, to not be offensive. and there's a, there's a, But the, the fact is, there's an incredible amount of offense in the gospel itself. And the, the kindest, nicest person, if he's in fact carrying... Uh, the word of God to you will be telling you stuff that really makes you squirm. If, if it's not making you uncomfortable, it's not love. If it's not making you come to grips with some things that you really in your heart don't want to come to grips with, it's not the kingdom of God. There's a reason why they killed Jesus. There's a reason why 12, 10 of the 12 apostles were documented as being as being killed we have this kind of american christianity where our christianity fits in easily with the culture around us biblical christianity does not it makes some enemies and it makes some enemies in the name of loving god and loving who you're serving you know every time paul peter just go through the book of acts uh, alone and you'll see them stirring up riots. 
you know, we set chair the four spiritual laws and Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for his life. Very few of us have ever stirred up a riot <laughs> or even had somebody really get ticked off at us. I'm telling you that if you walk in love, Satan is called the slanderer. And he, if God is going to use you in someone's life, that person is going to get thoughts rising up inside of them, slandering you. It's, it's as simple as that. And we're, in a, we're living in a time, uh, C.S. Lewis talked about this in the 1950s in his book, The Problem of Pain. But we, we have slipped into a time where love is increasingly be, being defined as all encouragement, all comfort, all nice things, all agreement with all behaviors all the time. We, we don't think anyone who's very confrontational or, very, or, or uh, challenging is a loving person. Believe me, you'll, you'll fail with your kids if you don't have part of your relationship be you know, you have to start with a foundation of unconditional acceptance. I love you. I love you. I love you a million times. Spend time with them. But you're going to have to confront lots of things in their sin nature and in their character. And you're going to have to not let those things take over their characters. They're growing up if you're going to succeed as a skillful parent. Your sword will have to be sharp. So, um, the second, so the first thing about Satan again is that he's he's the opponent and he's the slanderer. That's how he opposes. To the degree God wants to use a body of Christians or any person in your life, to that degree you're going to have warfare against them. And that doesn't happen just in the church. Sometimes you'll get a boss, and that boss stands between you and real character. And everybody in the office is bad-mouthing that boss. And you've got to decide if you're going along with the worldly people and going to join in bad-mouthing that boss, or you're going to believe that God is sovereign, and he gives you roommates, bosses, teachers, and things like that according to your need. I was joking with Anvesh and his friend. Though you know They're in the same uh, program together, which means they're going to have the same teachers. And I was joking, like, that means you can complain about the same teachers together, because, you know, which I was only joking, because that's exactly how the world system works. If you're working at McDonald's, all the guys at the McDonald's are going to be doing a number in their head about the boss. If you're the manager of a PNC, all the guys in the whole uh, office are going to be saying, that Terry Pellegrino, that Larry Trumbach, you know, you're, you're going to have to stand for what you stand for in the midst of a lot of accusations against you. That's just the reality of actually being, being in God's will and being right and righteous. Make sure that the opposition that's coming against you is for righteousness and not for anything else. Uh, so secondly on the nature of the enemy is pride. Now, uh, I'm not going to turn to all these, but Genesis 3 is, is really kind of the... Uh, you know, the serpent was more crafty, and of course the Bible is alluding to uh, Satan taking on a serpent form and so forth. But he, he, uh, he himself starts with pride. For Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, most uh, commentators take those to be both uh, a real story about real, the real king of Tyre and, and uh, 
uh, in Isaiah, and then Ezekiel is uh, the, the king of, um, is it Moab or Edom, I think. But in any case, um, you know, it says that you were the, the angel of God and so forth until you were filled with pride and you said, I will be like the most high. You know what stands between our, any person of our time period? Our time period is very humanistic and humanism exalts man's thinking and man's reasoning above God and God's revelation and God's word. And you meet, I meet all sorts of young guys who are afraid to talk about, sit down and have a Bible study and talk about anything. And they're running, running from any kind of uh, thing that's going to make them think through some things, but they know it all. And they know it all, but their life doesn't really demonstrate much, much depth of study or much thinking philosophically uh, or, or whatever. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Almost, er you know what, if you're going to make progress in the Lord, what you're going to have to get past us, our, the whole nature of our culture right now is we're all trying to overcome insecurities, and so we like want to say, I'm this strong a Christian or that strong a Christian or, and so forth. And you, you have to humble yourself and see that God knows everything and you really know nothing in comparison. You know, actually, theologically, we know some things accurately, but we know nothing exhaustively. Some of my best rebukes have come from people who don't know one-tenth as much as I know. One of the things that's really helped me grow over the years is, is uh, every church I've been to, I've always said, God planted me to learn from this pastor, not, not to teach this pastor. And so I, I pressed into everything they knew. And uh, that, has, that has been really, and that, that's been the case with sometimes when I've had a pastor who had 10 times less overall knowledge of scripture, church history, theology, and so forth, and in some cases, less experience, but God put me there. And God didn't put me there to convince him what I knew. God put me there to get what he knew. And that, believe me, uh, there are some major things that, that God put in my life that way that I would be totally ineffective in Christ without them. I, I wish I could talk about pride for like... 52 weeks or something pride pride is you have it everyone has it there was actually a young guy once that uh, told me that he was struggling with pride and I explained to him that everyone struggles with pride and I said I struggle with pride and uh, uh, you know so forth and, and he actually quit our church and, and he told um, a guy in the church of course he didn't tell any of the leaders of the church but he told a guy in the church uh, I can't be here because I struggle with pride, and Pastor Greg said he struggles with pride. I, I need a pastor who doesn't struggle with pride. And I just thought, good luck in finding that. <laughs> you know, if, if you have a pastor who says that he doesn't struggle with pride, run. <laughs> you know, uh, wow. Uh, you know, thirdly, rebellion. This is so big in our age. Um, Paul starts his gospel in Romans 1 and ends it in Romans 15 with talking about the that he was given grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith in the gospel. 
And if you've really been converted to Christ, it will actually be really high on your agenda to want to be more like Jesus. You'll be passionate about it. You'll be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's what he puts in you in the new birth. If you don't have that going on, you haven't yet been born again. You have to have this hunger that I want to be more like Christ and I want to take up my cross and I want to obey him and I want to quit obeying the thoughts of my life. I want to lay down my agenda uh, about marriage, about vocation, about ministry, about my whatever you're into, your art, your music, your, your relationships. You want to put all of this at the feet of Christ and say, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what happens in the new birth. You get that obedience. Paul talks about how you were, you were given obedience from the heart. Now, uh, the whole idea of spiritual authority uh, is, is the most attacked idea. In the 60s, you know, the bumper sticker was question authority. And we have had 50, 60 years of anti-authority culture so that if you are what's called a millennial, uh, if you're under 32 years old, you probably have been completely brainwashed in a culture that says uh, disregard authority, question authority, do your own thing. And, and you think that's a normal value. That's one of the advantages of studying history. That's not a normal value. And uh, as, as uh, you know, you work with uh, people today, one of the biggest, you know, like we use a, a foundational book called Spiritual Authority by Watchman Nee. Mo in my experience, most people in our culture usually start to understand the message of that book about the third time through it. That book revolutionized my life in one reading, but it was a different time and different culture. The thing is, uh, Jesus is going to come to you by the word and the spirit, but he also comes to you in the seven spheres of God's kingdom by spiritual authority. You know, he, he, there's, there's order in the home, there's order in the church, there's order in the workplace. And to the degree you can hear God through spiritual authorities in your life, that's the degree you really want God. And believe me, you will have all kinds of reasonings, especially if you've been raised in modern culture, trying to separate you from that. Um, there is a CD that I, that I highly recommend. Hopefully we'll have a bunch of copies by the end of the, the service on the back table. But it's by uh, John. It's called Disciples Following Christ. And it's based on 1 Corinthians 4. And he basically does a much more masterful job than I'm capable of of explaining from the millennial generation's point of view why you have such a trouble with the idea of spiritual fatherhood and why you really need it. And uh, believe me, I am who I am, not just because of thousands of hours of scripture study, that has of course been foundational and important, and not because of powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit, including getting demons cast out of me and casting demons out of others and leading maybe a thousand people into being baptized in the Holy Spirit and all kinds of things, supernatural experiences that, and miracles that I'd love to tell you about. But primarily, Paul said to Timothy, you have many, you've had many tutors, but not many fathers. 
And I have had the, by the grace of God, from the very beginning, due to my parents and due to the church I was in in Bowling Green, I have had exposure to the best Bible teachers and the best uh, sources to study as tutors, but I've also had spiritual fathers who shaped me and formed me. Now, I haven't had a lot of those. I've had about four or five. Uh, you know, the last 11 years I've worked with, of course, Ray Nethery and then Ruby uh, from the Alliance Renewal Churches. But I had guys, you know, all the way back, uh, you know, a guy named Peter Manto when I was real young and all the way through. Pastor Brown down here at Bethel Christian Assembly. Um, you know, he helped me see uh, one particular area that I was totally blind to and missing. Now, if that, if you get, if, you know, when you're at a certain level of, of fruitfulness and maturity and so forth, sometimes God just puts you in, in a relationship to get one thing from that person. And believe me, that person will grate you. That person will make, you won't like it. If you, if you're not fully submitted to saying, God, put in me, whatever you want to put in me by whoever you want to put in me. You know, to this day, I struggle with the fact that the, the person who really, my, my mother's not the easiest person to get along with in the world. Uh, neither am I. But, uh, uh, but, you know, she would always say, remember, God is going to bring you into account for every idle word you've spoken is like her favorite thing to remind me of. And I'm like, well, could you not remind me of that? <laughs> you know, but, you know, thank God that she got me started in so many ways in God. Uh, let's flip over because we're running out of time. Unbelief. Many manifestations, the attacks in Genesis 3. Uh, they, unbelief will attack, uh, number one, the, the reality of Scripture, including its supernatural components. Number two, that attack is actually based on a deeper foundational thing of mistrust in God's character. Do you know that when you're really born-again Christian, your, your, your faith in the Word of God is actually based on your faith in the person of God, in the nature of God, in the attributes of God. That's why I say if you've never read a good book like A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy, Holy, every Christian should read a book or two on the attributes of God. Because your faith in the Scripture is only as deep as your faith in God himself. And so if you have foundational problems in, in trusting and, and intimacy issues and everything like that, it struggles. You're going to struggle with faith. But all progress in the spiritual life is by, by a biblical def definition of faith, which is not just intellectual assent to the ideas of Christianity, but it's a trusting in, in, the, in God so that you follow, cling to, rely on, so forth. And that includes hearing God's word, whoever he chooses to speak it to you through, whether you like the packaging or not. The people who've helped me most in, in life are, I, the reason like I shared that illustration about my mother, are people that I had trouble with the packaging, but I pressed into what God was saying anyway. Most people get offenses and get take, uh, get bitter or resentful or whatever. You can, Man, you can feel that they don't like you. Jesus, uh, when the woman touched him, he said, I was aware that the, when the power went out for me, one of my spiritual fathers, a man named jo Joseph McAuliffe, who put great things of good in my life. Uh, I can still remember where I was sitting in this little room in the, in Prout Chapel, 
uh, middle of the week, we had a history class together or something, and we were sitting there talking, and he he, he started talking about, because he was asking me to do the campus ministry and so forth, he said, Greg, Jesus was aware when the power went out from him. You'll know when God is giving someone faith to receive versus when they're not. You, you, you'll see it in their countenance. You'll, you'll feel it in the flow of the Spirit into their mind and their heart versus, versus hitting a brick wall. Uh, you'll feel it in whether they run to you or from you. Unbelief, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the small g, God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Uh, by the way, you could get this from Tim Keller or whatever. You, can get, you could get it if you just trusted me. When you don't exercise faith in God, you are always exercising faith. Every minute of every day of every thought system of everything you do, you are exercising trust in following someone. You're either going to trust yourself in your own reasonings or you're going to trust the, the power of, the, of Scripture the Holy Spirit and the church that God is sending to you and sending you to. Really, it gets down to that. And when you find yourself having a lot of reasonings to, uh, to dislike where God has put you, about your boss, your roommate, your pastor, whatever, that should be a flag that there's something you're, you're trying to resist trusting God in. It's, it really is as simple as that. When you're running more from the pe people that God could use to help you than you're running to them, you're yet running from God. You think you're running from a person that you don't like their packaging and you don't like their personality. Believe me, J Jesus said this. He said, John the Baptist came to you neither eating and drinking. He was kind of ascetic. He was fasting a lot and eating bugs and, and <laughs> in the wilderness and so forth, and you dismissed him, right? And, and But then I came eating and drinking, and you dismissed me. And the truth is, in both cases, you claimed it was because the packaging, but it was really because of the message. It, you, will, you will go very... You, you will never become more than a shallow Christian, uh, easily sidetracked by unbelief, bitterness, com grumbling, complaining, or whatever, until you can say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when you don't like the packaging. Any person who's been a boss at, at a workplace knows that. You know, what makes or breaks the employee is can, you know, you know and, that, and now there's sometimes... I would imagine that's the uh, kitchen downstairs. It's tight. The, the the smoke alarms are tied together. They're supposed to be uh, supposed to be untaken off when we're uh, when we're actually cooking, but they probably forgot to do that. Fifthly, division. I'm almost out of time here. Again, I, I just I can't emphasize enough. You look at that. I wish I had given more time to that. I can't emphasize enough that offenses will come. I would recommend uh, R.T. Kendall's books, Total Forgiveness and Total Forgiveness Experience. 
I would recommend John's. John has a CD which is available on the podcast. Now, the way the podcasts are set up currently is you have to just scroll back until you get the one you want because they're chronological. Rather, there's no sorting mechanism yet. We're working on that. For um, um, what am I trying to say? But uh, for finding it, but John has one that's called Forgiveness Prerequisite to Discipleship. And uh, believe me, you can't go far, very far in God till you begin to work on being quick to forgive, uh, et cetera, really. Uh, if you are some, Hebrews twelve fifteen says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no brood of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Uh, lastly, fear. I wish, boy, I wish I had more time to preach on these points. I, I just submit to you that there, uh, those people who I know that have national deliverance ministries and so forth, they claim there are over 500 kinds of fear spirits, including fear of, of you know, some, pe- some people are afraid of women, some people are afraid of men, some people are afraid of leaders, some people are afraid of the dark. There's all kinds of fears. The only fear the Bible endorses is actually the fear of God. Um, of course, he's a liar and he's a murderer. I'm going to have to stop there. There's a list there for you of some of the names of Satan. If you know anything about Bible things um, in the Bible, uh, it's very clear that names are the key to the actions of, pe- of people. Names are identity. Names are how they act. So one way you can know a little bit more about the enemy is to look at that whole list that I've provided for you of names of the enemy. So let's stop there.